jump right in. We got a lot of ground to cover. Show hands. How many of you were here last week? Last week. Okay, awesome. So many of you. How many of you weren't here last week, but you caught the message online somehow? So we're all kind of caught up today. Again, so I, I want to say, um, if you were not here last week and you uh, haven't caught up on the message, please make sure you go back to our YouTube channel. Um, and one, subscribe because it'll keep you filtered, um, filtered into all of the messages that come out. Uh, it, it's really important that I say this because this is a, it's not exactly 52 weeks, but this is a year-long series, okay? Um, and so we started this two weekends ago last week, which week two, this is week three, and we're going to just be kind of forging forward. So you need to make sure that uh, YouTube is connected to so you can stay in tune with all the messages so you don't um, miss out. And because we're going to be walking through this really honestly, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we'll bounce around a little bit and it might get a little non-linear, but I'm doing my best as a very ADD person to be very linear in this as we walk through this. I've never really taught this way before. I really felt uh, the Lord just kind of urged me in this direction. I think there's some really powerful things in these letters that we're exploring, First and Second Peter. Um, so we're going to continue on. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. I said last week we're going to kind of stay in this place for a little bit. Um, next week we're going to really get into more, more of the guts of the letter. So uh, we're probably going to jettison off of this, this intro portion um, after today, but... Uh, let's go. First Peter chapter one verses three through nine says this: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into last week. Ever seen living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance. I love this. The picture of of our inheritance says this: It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded. Now, if you ever wonder, like, if I got protection, is it like, what, what's going on? How is this, as a sojourner, as an exile, like, how does, how does this look? He says this, you're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So if you don't hear anything else in this message, you like to check out right now, I just need you to remember this. When you walk out, of, you are being guarded by God's power. And this is important because of the next few verses that Peter's going to lead us into. So I want you to know, you're protected, you're guarded by God's power. However, because you rejoice in this, we get pumped about it, we're excited about it, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. It's a super K-lovey moment for Peter here. Positive and encouraging. He says, so that the proven character, this is why you go through trials, this is why I go through trials, this is why we go through hard things. He says, so the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which more perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. No, you've not seen him, you love him, and though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So today, as we continue on in our series, you are here. I want to speak to you from the subject just a second. Just a second. As we deal with what Peter calls short-term grief in various trials. Can you pray with me just one more, one more time today? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, and it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. So, God, right now I ask that you would work in us, move in us, that your word would divide the areas that need to be divided, separate them so that each one can be highlighted and spoken to. And, God, we know that where your truth is applied, it sets us free, and that who the Son sets free is free indeed. 
And so we stand firm, therefore, as your word would say, in the freedom that we have in you. I pray that your word would be our anchor, it would be our rock, it would be our foundation today. And so we honor you with the reading of your word. And God, I pray that it would be your voice so clearly in this room today. Move me out of the way, God. May we hear your heart for us as we desire to follow you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and the church shouted. The church shouted. Amen. Um, I'm a parent of three kids. I'm going to pause there for a second. I use a lot of illustrations about parenting because that is the space of life that I am consumed by right now, okay? But if you are single in here, if you are a teenager, uh, if you are a young couple without kids, please, I don't use these illustrations to kind of uh, to minimize your experience in any way whatsoever. What I do is I, I use it hopefully as an illustration so you can hear the space of life that I'm in, but at the same time kind of uh, equalize it a little bit to help you understand some of these references in Scripture and these realities that we, that we look at. Does this sound good for everybody? And so so I just, just know that. I know for some of you are like, I don't have a kid. I have no idea what he's talking about. Like, put yourself in the kid position because you were a kid once, okay? So I've got three kids who constantly hound us with questions. That's what they do. I think that's what God built them for. And so he's like, I'm going to create little people that will just ask questions to their parents all the time, and it'll work on the holiness in their parents. So, <laughs> and so all the time, questions all the time, Dad. Like, can we have cookies? Dad, it's coming over here. Dad, is pizza okay for breakfast? Yes. Okay. Constant questions. Some of them very small questions, not a big deal. Other questions like those, like, have you ever, parents, have you ever, like, just been chilling in the kitchen on a Saturday afternoon and all of a sudden they come in with, like, a massive existential question? Right? Where do babies come from? <laughs> My four-year-old, okay? She walked in yesterday to her mom. She's like, look, I have a baby in me. And I was like, oh, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they ask all these questions, and I found myself saying yes to them, especially when I'm caught off guard by the question. That's usually when this, this statement comes. So I'll take a question, and then I'll say this. Not even thinking. I'm not even thinking about the answer. I'll just automatically, like, it's in me. It's in the inside of me. I say, just a second. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just a second. And really, I don't mean a literal second, do I? Like those of us that can, you know, cognitively work through, I don't mean just a second. What I really mean is like 12 and a half minutes out of my space, okay? Just a second. But kids, on the other hand, no. It's literally literal. Second. Just give me a second. They're like, can I have cookies? Right? I'm like, that was on cue. What are you, what are you doing right now? So I'll repeat just a second, multiple, multiple times. Just a second. Give me a second. Hold on. Just a second. And... My kids don't care that I'm trying to, like, get the time and the space to figure out what I'm going to say and, and, and work through all these things. They, they are trying to make sure that I engage with them right when they want me to so they don't have to go through the tension of whatever it is that they feel tension in because of their situation and their circumstance. I find that interesting because I've come to realize that the journey of life and faith we are on is a lot like that. We look at things that that we experience the things that we're going through, and we shout at God, how long? You ever been there before? How long? Peter answers the question for God. He says, for a short time, or just a second. Now, if you're like me, let's be very honest, it's a super frustrating answer. But what's very interesting about this piece of scripture is that when you dig into the words that are used right here, especially in the Greek, 
it gets even more frustrating, actually, because when he says just a second, he says for a short time, he's using the span of our life as a short time. He says, so if you're going to face trials for a short time, if necessary, that short time that he's talking about is your life in light of eternity. I know, super comforting. And, that, and that's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, if you're going to go through things for a short time, really what he's saying is that it's possible that we are going to, for our lifespan, as sojourners and exiles, face trials and tribulation and suffering and pain. I know, super encouraging this morning. Would you learn at church today? I don't know, suffering and pain and trials is awesome. Don't worry, there's good news in all of this. Just for a second. But here's, here's what I really want to cue in on. See, the issue that we have isn't even really with time. The issue that we have is with trials. And this is the space that I really want to occupy today. And Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He says, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and they let us see what we are made of. And only in the way that C.S. Lewis could, he would say, the problem of reconciling human suffering with the existence of a God who loves is only infallible as so long as we attach, it is, a trivial meaning to the word love. And look on things as if man were the center of them. Man is not the center. God does not exist for the sake of man. Man does not exist for his own sake. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We were made not primarily that we may love God, though we were made for that too, but that God may love us, that we may become objects in which the divine love may rest well pleased. In other words, most of the discomfort and dissonance that is created in and through our pain and our suffering and trials is not because of discomfort, but rather because of self-infatuation and self-centeredness. See, we tend to define the details of love according to how we love ourselves, rather than how God has defined love for us. Therefore, we reject pain, we reject suffering, we reject trials, and then we charge God with being unloving because we are facing what we are facing. In other words, many of us, myself included in a moment, we bought into a, a self-entitlement that says, I am special enough to never go through pain and suffering. Peter's trying to correct that in us. Like, sometimes we approach God and we're like, do you know who I am? How would you allow this, or how would you? I can't believe that. Like, I'm, I'm special. He's like, yeah. So trials, and that's the hard part that we function, and that's the space that's difficult for us to to assess. And so, what I'm trying to poke at today is, is some things that I think are maybe not even understood or realized in us yet, but as we deal with pain and suffering and trials, things that we go through in life and that we're going to go through, if you're not going through it today, it might be coming tomorrow. Or for some of us, we might be getting on the backside of what we have been going through. But I just got to give you a newsflash. Once again, Caleb's moment. You are going to, we are going to face things in life. Pain, suffering, trials, or, or, or otherwise. It's going to happen to us. And so it's because of this reality that Peter sees it as appropriate to define trials and suffering as a whole, and then he places them into two different categories for us. 
So we're going to do this. We're going to read another portion of his letter, First Peter chapter four, verses twelve through nineteen, and then I'm going to highlight these two ga- uh, categories. Listen to what he says. First Peter chapter four, verses twelve through nineteen. He says, "Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you." But can we just stop right there and say, "Thanks, Peter." Don't be surprised when the fire of deal comes among you to test you. Has if something unusual were happening to you, like, what is this thing called a trial? How dare you? How dare you life? How dare you world? How dare you, Satan, put me through these, these things? Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Come on, young people. If somebody ridicules you or makes fun of you or puts you down because you're trying to follow Jesus, can I just let you know you are blessed? Come on, when you're ridiculed in the workplace or at family dinners or wherever you may be, can I just tell you you're blessed? At the end of the day, we've got to, we've got to like take back a posture of confidence in what it is that we've decided to do, that we've decided to be, and who we've decided to follow. Because you're blessed. So that you may also rejoice with great joy when glory is revealed if you're ridiculed in the name of Christ. You're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. So the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? So then, let those who suffer according, here's the part that's going to be jarring, for some of us are going to slap us really hard this morning, according to God's will. So then let us who suffer according to God's will and trust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. And this is where a lot of us find dissonance and Honestly, discouragement because we're like, well, wait a second, is, is God's will suffering for us then? And we're, we're going we're to divide that in just a second. But let's, let's talk about these, these two, uh, two divisions that Peter makes about trials. Here's the first one. He says, you and I are going to face trials by choice. Oh, it's getting quiet in Lutheran church today. Come on. Come on, work with me. You and I are going to face trials by choice. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. These are the issues that we face, the suffering that we experience, the pain, the hardship, the, the frustration out of our own volition because we make decisions that have consequences and ramifications in our lives. No one says amen to that part. Because here's what we inherently want. We want to be able to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and then we want God in His grace and love to take away the ramification of our decisions. So we've got a messed up view of what God's grace and love is. Especially as parents, we start to experience this because my kids make decisions and then I let them deal with the ramifications of it. That's how, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good, good father. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. <laughs> but a lot of 
us get this twisted. Like, are we going to mess up and it frustrates and it frustrates our faith because we're like, wait a second, God, you were supposed to save me from my decision. And he's like, well, actually, I gave you some things to understand before you made the decision. So you don't actually have to live through the ramifications of the decision that you've made. Trials by, by choice. It's like getting mad because you were speeding. You got pulled over. Well, have you ever lost your mind because of your own, like, I can't believe the ball of that officer. Yeah. I can't believe him either. He's just upholding the law. Insanity. You had it on cruise control. Erica Parrish got 115 miles an hour. <laughs> We have to press into this a little bit because, like, isn't it honest our day's ruined because we haven't been saved from our own decision? Well, are you, are you saying that we have to be perfect, Jason? No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But a lot of us, that, 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 that type of equation is going to enter into the sphere of our thinking because we just are bought into this idea that God's sole purpose is to constantly keep us from the ramifications of our own volition. Does that make sense when I'm, when I'm putting out this? This is important because for many of us, our issue with God is an issue we shouldn't have. We are offended at God when we should be offended at ourselves. So that's why Paul doubles down on this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. He says this, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever person sells, he will also reap. Now, many of us have heard this passage of Scripture brought up and attached to giving. And while there's transferable principle there, I want us to see this piece of Scripture in the context of what it's in scripturally in Galatians. Because he's not talking about that in this part. Because he says this, because the one who sells it is to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we do not give up. So he is talking about an ethical reality in our life. He's talking about a moral thing in our life. He's saying, listen, God's not mocked. If I'm going to sow to my flesh, I'm going to reap fleshy ramifications. That's a weird word. Come on, every turn your neighbor and say fleshy. Everybody turn back to your neighbor and say, don't ever say that to me again. Never coming back to this church. <laughs> so here's what he's saying. He's saying this. Do not be surprised that if you sow to the flesh, you reap of the flesh. But also don't be surprised that if you sow to the Spirit, you reap of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Um, for the sake of being being crass, we have to understand that sometimes we, we can't, can't get mad when we do dumb. I'm just going to simplify the point. Some of you need to write that down. That was about as simple as I could put it. Write it down. Don't do dumb. Okay. If I do dumb, I read dumb. That's why I said don't give up on doing good or at least season you'll, you'll read if you don't give up. How many of you do some chill hands right now? Just therapeutic moment. Good's hard. Good's hard. 
We bought cookies the other night from this new from this new company called Local. It's so better. It's so much better than Crumble. Shout out to Local if you're online right now. Hook us up. So um, but. Last night I'm sitting there, I'm reading a book, and, and Erica was downstairs and she was doing stuff, and the kids came up, and I'm usually not a cookie guy. Like, they, they don't really get me, like, all excited and everything, and the kids came up and still went over to the box. It's so bad now that I think about it, but how much cookie can I have? And so the, the kids are right there, and I was, like, slicing them into quarters. Right? Like, little triangle pieces, like, this is what you can have. And my son doesn't miss a beat. He's like, Dad, how much are you going to have? And I just grabbed the whole cookie and I walked away. Like I said, I'm a good, good father. That's who I am. But I'm reap of that decision. So, how many of you know there's trials that we experience in life because of choice? Right? Sometimes the unfortunate circumstance we find ourselves in is because we, we did something. But here's the other category that then Peter highlights for us. He says, and this is the hard one for us, trials by design. Trials by design. He says, then so then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Now, we tend, and I, I, I want to I tread carefully here because this can be a, a jarring truth for some of us. Let me be very clear. I do not believe that God, that, that God causes bad things to happen to us. But bad things that happen to us, uncaused by us, still have to pass through His hands of awareness and sovereignty. In other words, I want us to hear this. God sees and God knows. But this is why then Peter assesses this injunction to us and he says, now, if, if you understand this, that there's going to be things that, that God's going to be aware of and knows. Not that he causes bad things to happen, but he's aware of it. We have to entrust ourselves to him as a faithful and good father, a faithful creator. And this is where some of us hit a wall. It's the wall that I call the what about wall. You ever hit that wall before? You're walking along, you're reading the Bible, and bam! What about, what about, what about, what about? So what about law? One of those big existential questions, but some of us hit the what about law in a different way. Right now we're hitting it because you are thinking back to something that happens in your life that is insanely hard, insanely traumatic, very detailed. That's a big what about law. It's the rape that took place at 19 years old. The first time your dad drew blood as he punched you across the face. The moment that mom left and she never came back. It's when you were told that you will never be able to conceive. It's that moment you miscarry for a third time. It's the moment that the deal falls through and you, you lose everything. the moment the doctor says it's terminal. It's the moment when they say, I don't love you anymore. It's the ongoing pain and irreversible damage in your body from the near-fatal accident. Or it's the ongoing loss from a fatal accident. This is the wall many of us collide with. 
And while I call it the one about all my my purpose is not to minimize the things that we're going through, but to maximize the understanding that I that I see and, and, and know where you're at. And I get how this is a really hard wrestle. Because it's like, why would God allow it? How can he be there in the midst of, of this if he's a good God? And I just want to say this to you. Maybe you've never heard this from a pastor before. I can theologically and doctrinally work through some stuff that might bring some A plus B equals C type of idea to this concept. But here's one of the biggest questions I'll be asking God when I stand before him one day. Because I don't get it. I don't know. And I think that's why Peter says that's why we have to entrust ourselves to God. He's proofed, to, he's proofed his goodness in all kinds of other ways. There's going to be things as a dad and a mom that we can't stop our kids from experiencing in life. Come on. At 17 years old, my, my boy potentially is driving, and, and when he is, he might get into a car accident. It's something that happens to him. And while I do not wish that and while I do not want that to happen, it's a very real understanding. It's a very real way. There's only one way to keep him from it, and that is put him in, in padded paper and lock him in his room and never allow him out again. But how many of you know that as a good parent, we can't do that? But interestingly enough, we assess that to God. God, we want to operate in the world with our free will. But just having you as a backup protection to not have anything happen to us. Isn't that interesting? Because once again, we have this very self-focused idea that God's job is to make sure that I can just go about my life how I want to without ever experiencing pain, frustration, trial, tribulation, or anything of the sort. But here's the other side of what we have to remember. is that we have a broken world and we have an enemy that wants you to experience all those things. It's a battle. As a sojourner in exile, this is the life that we will experience, especially in a world that's increasingly hostile, a spiritual climate that is perpetually darkening. Our experience is going to become harder and more visceral. That's why moments like this are so important for us. Are y'all with me still? So this is where the question of God's allowance of negative situations comes into play. Like I said, I, I don't get it, but here's what I do know. He is not the cause, but he does promise that he will be our comfort. So then you should write that down today. He is not the cause, but he does promise that he will be our comfort. Now I know for some of us that doesn't like seem like a great parting gift. Says, yeah, fantastic. What'd you get at church today? I got a mug. And then I was told I'm gonna go through hard things and God will comfort me. What a day. <laughs> I choose the mug. <laughs> but like Job, I, I think we can come to the conclusion that is more of a faith conclusion and an understanding of, of God's God's love. If you don't know Job and who Job is, Job is the section of the Bible. You might have thought it was Job. It's not Job. He's a guy who goes through some things because God does this. He says to this. It looks like what we have is a conversation between between God and Satan. And God is so confident in who Job is. He says, listen, I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going I'm I'm to take my protection off him because here's what I know about Job. It doesn't matter what you sling at him. He will not leave me. 
And then if you read Job, don't go read Job. It's a cautionary tale. It's difficult to read. But here's what Job says in chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. It's always blowing me away. This is what he says. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. You ever been there before? You ever have a bitter complaint towards God? It's bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. If only I knew how to find him. So now he's discussing this idea like it's hard to find God at times. So that I could go to his throne. I would plead my face before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Come on, have you ever had that moment? Like you're praying or you're thinking to yourself, if I could just get before God, I would tell him what for and how to and what. He just needs to hear a piece of me. I would learn how he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he prosecute me forcefully? No! He would certainly pay attention to me. Then an upright man could reason with him, and I would escape from my judge forever. If I go east, he's not there. If I go west, I cannot perceive him. When he is at work to the north, I cannot see him. When he turns south, I cannot find him. Yet he knows the way I have taken. And when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. My feet have followed in his tracks. I have kept to his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commands from his lips. I have treasured the words from his mouth more than my daily food. If there was anybody who should have started deconstructing their faith, it was Job. And what I love is that Job didn't deconstruct. He stood firm on what God has said. But honestly, the reason that many of us start burning it all down when we're going through things is we don't have a clear understanding of what God is trying to do in our trials. I hope we can be like Job. I hope we can face things. I don't know why we go through things. There's lots of questions I have for God. Lots of them. Why see horses? Generically pointless to me. I... And I'm going to follow up why see horses with why suffering. I feel like if I can one-two punch him, I might catch him on guard and then get a more truthful answer. Why is this important to talk about right now? Well, because this is the space that we frequently occupy during this series due to the fact that pain, trials, suffering are a large part of Peter's theological scope. So if we're going to read 1 and 2 Peter, and we're going to keep it in context, and we're going to keep it clean, we have to understand that there's this, this thin red line that runs through the whole thing, and that is pain and suffering and, and trials. We're going to go through things. And hopefully this is covered, because if you are in the house right now, and you're going, I am, everything in my life right now is so awesome. Everybody loves me. I have all the money in the world. My job is fantastic. I have no allergies, and I love the cold. Great. So we rejoice with you, but there's some of us in here today, probably many of us in here, where we came in carrying the world. So you came in here today hoping you would find sanctuary. Hopefully that today's message would be positive and encouraging, and then you walk in and it's like, oh, now he's talking about pain and suffering. Great. Well, hopefully the next three truths that I share with you, as we close this, this afternoon, I hope they're truths that keep you in the tension of these moments that we face in life or will face in life. Does that sound good? I want to offer you three truths that I've found very important for my own life as I walk through 
pain and frustration and trials and, and, and circumstances. Here's the first one. Come on, Rashad, number one. Come on, Rashad, number one. Here's the first thing. What seems unnecessary is at times necessary. I know. Super awesome. What seems unnecessary is at times necessary. That's why I'm first Peter 1 6. You rejoice in this, even though for a short time, if necessary. If necessary. Come on, someone shout necessary. If necessary, here it is. You suffer grief in various trials. Now, we all have to realize that we have a bias here, and our bias is towards a pain free life. That's the direction we all want to lean towards. So to hear that grief and trials is necessary will frustrate us. Most of us can deal up to a point, can't we? But there's a line, if we're honest, that all of us have when it comes to the things that we're okay with dealing with and then the things that we're, we're not okay dealing with. I've said these, like, I'm just a moment of vulnerability for you. I've said these exact words I'm about to say to you. Multiple times this year, and towards the backside of 2021, I've said them to my counselor, I've said them to our team, I've said them to Erica. Okay, here, here's the words that I've said. Can I just have a moment of smooth waters? Anybody else feel like that? This, this, like, even at the beginning, can I just have one moment? Smooth waters. I don't want to have to make a decision. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to answer a question. I just want to stare at the wall. In the fetal position. Just one moment. Just a second. And then you don't get it. It's not smooth waters. You walk out of here today and it's like, the most raging waters you've ever been in. You're like, God, I just did everything right. I went to church, I worshiped, I said hi to people I don't like, and then now, like, I did, I've earned some points here. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You're waving at me. <laughs> I've earned some space, God, I've earned some smooth waters. And he's like, just a second. Just a second. So I get it. I get the frustration. Addressing the necessity issue would cause us to ask very important questions, and I think this is probably one of the most important questions that we can ask. This can come up on the screen. God, what is it that you are trying to do in me that necessitates the stewardship of this grief? Because that is what we are really doing. We are stewarding the grief of our trials so that God will receive the glory and praise through them. Don't believe me? Go to the Bible. Acts chapter 14, 21 through 22 says this After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Tychonic, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them this is their encouragement. This is what I love about the Bible. Sometimes we don't see these things. Okay? This is their encouragement. Guys, wanna, everybody rally around. Half time. Everybody come over here. Great job in our previous ministry moment. I just want you to hear this. It's necessary for you to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Thanks, Coach. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope and the glory of God. That would be so awesome if we could just pause there for a second. But not only that, 
verse 3, but we also boast in our afflictions, because we know that the affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love is being poured out into our hearts. James chapter 1, verse 2 through the 4 says, This consider a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Here's the question again. What is it that God's doing in you through your various grief in trials to make you into something? Why are you stewarding it? Why is my man Seth stewarding the things that God is asking him to steward? What if we could reframe the way that we go through trials, problems, situations, issues, circumstances? What if we could do that today? Because, like, right, I don't have my wallet on me, but if you were to pull if I were to pull my wallet, I've got money in there, represented in either cash or cards. That I'm stewarding those things. I've got to steward them to the glory of God, right? We've talked about that before. And for some reason, we really get, like, we can, we can, in our mind, get there as people of faith. But then it's like, hey, actually, you have another wallet. It's called your problem wallet. God gives you some problems. He allows you to go through some problems. Why? Because you're stewarding that just as much as your finances. You're stewarding that just as much as your kids. You're stewarding that just as much as your marriage. You're stewarding that just as much as your singleness. You're stewarding that just as much as your job, just as much as your education, just as much as your mind, just as much as your... Are you all with me today? So we are stewards. Like God says, I'm going to give you some things. I want you to handle these things because the way that you handle them will bring glory, honor, and praise to my name at the end of the day. That's awesome if you think about it because now I've got a problem and instead of looking at it as a problem, all of a sudden I look at it as a mother to steward it well. And oh God, thank you that I get to walk through this. Why? Because the way that I steward this brings glory and honor to your name. Oh, people are going to see how good you are. What if we reframed it? Now I know it's so easy for me to preach it like that. <laughs> Right? It's super easy to say that. Like, none of us like step out of a car accident and be like, well, I guess I got something more to steward. <laughs> no one ever. And the doctor's like, how do you feel about this? I'm just a good steward. I just want to steward this brokenness well. perspective we have to we have to have on things. We've got to understand that God's got a different perspective on it as well. Amen. So as a father, there are things that I do with my kids and for my kids that they will never grasp the necessity of until they sit in a similar position. Write this down if you're taking notes it. It's the position that affords perspective. As a leader, there are things that I that I do that others do not understand because they're not in my position and do not see nor have the, the things in front of me that I do. I make decisions because they are necessary to be made even when others do not understand them. Well, it's quiet in church today. Come on, somebody. But how many of you know we have a tendency to bring accusation against people in position with a different perspective because we're like, well, you should do it my way. And they're like, but you don't have my perspective. My kids are like, well, why don't you do it like this? I'm like, because you are 12. And I'm 39. I have a different perspective than you. 
And we're always going to do it mom's way, because her perspective is the best way. <laughs> so, perspective. And what we have to understand is that it's, and this is where some of us need to grasp this today, and I hope this challenges some of us, okay? Because what we have to understand, it is not God's responsibility to answer to us. He doesn't have to. Someone needs to write that down. Write it down. Write it down. Like it's, God, it's not God's job to answer to me. This is the fallacy of our modern generation is that somehow God is accountable to us. God's accountable to no man. God is accountable to no man. Last time I checked, he said he was king, lord, god, creator, alpha, omega, first, last. I can't hold that accountable. I don't have the power to hold that accountable. Isn't that how we walk around? Like, we walk around trying to hold God accountable on things. He's the one person that doesn't need an accountability partner. You need it. I need it. He doesn't. Everybody shout, Lord. This is why we pray, God, your kingdom come. <laughs> Notice he's going to like, guys, when you pray, next time you pray, just pray for your kingdom to come. That's not what he said. He said, you pray my kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the selfish nature of, of humanity. Remember that's what happened in the garden? Let us be like. Let us be like. It never can be. But man, we, tra- we take the God-sized authority at times trying to hold him accountable to things. I just want to help alleviate the pressure and we step back and realize, I can't hold him accountable. Here's the second thing. Number two. Number two. Number two. I'm going to burn through these next two. I wanted to stay on number one, but I want to burn through these next two. The second one is this. Tested faith is trustworthy faith. Tested faith is trustworthy faith. First, faith. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says this, so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold which, though perishable, is refined by fire. Here's the deal. I want you to write this down today if you're taking notes. Purity of faith is produced through periodic problems. Purity of faith is produced through periodic problems. I tried to get as many P's in that statement as possible. I was really proud of myself. The persistence paid off. That's what my wife said right now. It's my pleasure. Um. <laughs> oh, it's a moment. Okay, so faith is acting upon what God has said. And the opportunity to act upon his words only happens when faith breaks. In other words, tested faith is trustworthy faith. Now, let, let's be very clear. Not every trial carries the details of hurt and physical pain and mental anguish that a lot that other trials do. But I've come to find that some of the most disorienting trials that we go through are a bit more simplistic in nature and less intrusive, but we lose our mind over them. Right? You got passed over for the promotion, and your world spins out. 
Right? You walk into church today and, and Sarah didn't say hi to you. Pastor Sarah didn't say hi to you. And you lose your mind over. I can't believe that. What does she have against me? She's short. She didn't see you. Like, it was a crowd. She just walked out and she was looking through her trees. It wasn't about you. We love to say, Sarah, I can say that. She loves me too. It's okay. In his book, The Making of a Leader, Pastor Frank DiMaggio talks specifically about the testing that takes place in our lives, how it's a vital part of the development of our faith. So at LDP, we, we work through with our students a lot of these tests, there's 15 tests in general. When you look at the test, it's actually amazing. They're simplistic tests, it's a test of time. How long can you stay in the tension of time when there's a promise and you've got to walk through before you ever come to the fruition of that promise? Time. Time spins it out. So a lot of the test isn't because we, we bump into something extremely negative or we're dealing with sickness or disease or any one of these things. There's other things that have a tendency to cause us to spin out. But here's the truth that I want us to grab a hold of with it is that you do not know the quality of something until it's tested. Come on, is anybody thankful that our pilots are tested? The worst thing that you want to hear when you hop on a plane this afternoon or tomorrow is like, hi, I'm going to be your pilot for today. This is the first time I've ever flown, and I'm winging it. None of us want to hear that. How many of you are thankful that the people that hold the scalpel have been tested? How many of you are thankful that people who stand up here and preach the, the sword of truth have been tested. I take this seriously. I'll say this very strong. I tend not to listen to me, Jason Perry. I tend not to listen to people who have not been tested or proven a staying power in and through testing. But isn't that what we do? We have a tendency to run to people who have proven their life to be untested. And then we reject the people who have stood the test of time. Testing is important. We can trust what has been tested, and that's what, that's what we need to understand about this, is that, that tested faith is trustworthy faith. And not just on God, God's behalf, but on your and my behalf. So when we go through trials, we can understand that it's testing, and all of a sudden we can step back and go, hey, wait a second, my faith is getting stronger. It's, getting, it, it's becoming more refined, and now I can walk through something else. Why? Because it was tested, and it was tested then, and then all of a sudden all our, our, our position changes and our attitude changes, and we're able to go like, wait a second, bring it on, enemy, bring it on, where I've got tested faith, so I will stay with it. Tested faith. And tested faith is about us conforming to the image of God looking more like him and becoming more like this is the goal of our human existence. If you're like in an existential moment, like, what is life, bro? What's the meaning of it all? The goal of human existence is to become image bearers through conformity unto his image. Here's the last one, number three. Let's try number three. There's a third and last truth I want to leave you with today. This is why we go through trials, this is why we go through hard things, is that something is always being produced. Something is always being produced. So Peter says that 
this stuff that we walk through may result in praise and glory and honor is the production-oriented statement, so that it results as a result, praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Because you are receiving, here's the goal, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your sins. Well, in trials, I just want us to understand that something is always being produced. I started reading a book recently. It's by a pastor I just recently met. His name is John Tyson. He pastors in New York City. And he wrote a book called The Intentional Father. And I've been diving into this book, and I read a bunch of it yesterday, actually. And funny enough, it struck me as I was reading through it that it kind of landed in the same place because the whole book is about being a father who's a good father and an intentional father. And as I'm reading the book, I sort of realized a very powerful truth is that good fathers are intentional fathers. Let me say that one time. Good fathers are intentional fathers. Now what strikes me is a room this size and with the last service and the service to come, statistically speaking, there's a lot of us in here who are already automatically in this moment going, yeah, sure, that sounds great. My father was not a good father and he was definitely not an intentional father. A lot of us are carrying father wounds and baggage that are that's connected to that issue. I get that, for sure. Trust me, at a very personal level. So as I'm sitting there reading this book, I started thinking about my three kids. Because the truth is this, is that I'm not always a good father. I like to joke around that I am. But I get caught up in my own desires. I get caught up in my own ambition. I get distracted by my own hobbies. Sometimes I just want to be left alone. I mean, come on, parents. You know what I'm talking about. So I'm not always intentional with them. I'm not always intentional to sit down with my son and explain the ways of the world to him. Talk to him about the, the character issues and the integrity. Talk to him about the things that he's going to bump into the world, in, in, into when he enters into the world. And that's sometimes a safe place for me to operate in. But an intentional father, a good father, is one as I, as my middle daughter was sitting on the on the front row in the first service, is building into her in such a way, knowing that as I'm developing these kids, there's a reason and a purpose and something's being produced in them. That's what the intentionality of a father is. Is that I'm trying to build them in the way they should go, train them in the way they should go so they don't depart from it. It's intention. So purpose and something's always being produced that I hopefully will see one day when I walk my daughter down the aisle, which is 42 and a half, as I'm walking down. Come on, guys, you know what I'm talking about. 43, okay? So, I pray, this is my prayer, and this is my prayer last night as I was reading this book, and I just kind of in a moment of reflection, I'm just giving you the real Jason, like what's in me. And I'm sitting here, and I hope that I get to the end of the aisle. And I hope my daughter can say to me, Dad, thank you. And as I hand this baton off, no one is my daughter to the next person. So what's been produced in her 
It's something that was intentional. And while I didn't do it perfect at all times, and while I didn't always do it the way that I wanted to, and while I always didn't do it, I didn't always do it in the way that would benefit her, something was produced where she could look me in the eye and say, thank you, I am the woman that I am today because of you. Something is always being produced. This is what God says. In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration for us. Heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in what I send it to do. So can I just let you know that what is in your trials, God is doing something. Right now, in your frustration, God is doing something. He is a good father and he is producing. He's producing something. So do not step out of your lane. This is pointless. Oh, it's far from pointless. He is building something in you. The Bible tells us that we are clay and the potter's hand. I love that. He's shaping, molding, building, correcting. Your trials. So, can I just tell you this today? He's a good father. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is. And he is building something. He is producing something. It's his word will not return void in Jesus' name. Come on, with you your feet with me this morning? Come on, would you turn your neighbor and say, you needed that message. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to back here and close your eyes as we get ready to close this service today. Come on, did you receive something out of that today? Where did that ever get closed? Some of us today in this moment, you got to reckon with where you're at with God. I want to say for one specific group of people today, and that's those of us who have yet to say yes to Jesus. Those of us who have yet to come to a saving faith in Christ, but you trust your soul, everything you are in Him. We're going to pray a prayer together, all of us out loud, so we don't leave anybody out. But maybe today you'd say, Jason, I don't, I don't know who this Jesus is, but I want to follow Him. I want to give him my life. I want to stop doing things my way. And I want to pursue him and follow him. If that's you today, pray this prayer with us. We're going to do it out loud so that no one gets left out. So come on, all of us together. We do say this as loud as you can with great faith and expectation. Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me. Change me. Make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I'm sorry for doing it my way. And so today, I'm turning from my way. And I'm following your way. In Jesus' mighty name, 
But every head bowed and every eye closed, and no one looking around. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today and you're saying yes to Jesus, come on, would you just throw your hand up right now? I just want to know that you're with us. Right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. The hands going up over here, right over here, right over here. Is anybody else stand up and listen to me right over here? Thank you, ma'am. I see you. Come on, anybody else stand up and say, that's me. Say yes to Jesus. I want to follow him. It's so beautiful. It's so great. Awesome. Thank you, my team. Come on, anybody else stand up and say, this is me. This is my moment. Right here, Oscar. Oscar, right here. Come on, anybody else today? Fantastic. Well, who's your head? Can we just celebrate all of that? Say yes to Come on. Come on.